if we could explain every single aspect of God, would he really be God? Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Joining me today are our friends Karen. Yes, hello. And Tracy. Good morning. Hello. Glad that you are here. Um, We've just spent a little time talking about the joys of church politics. Ain't it fun? Uh huh. Yeah. Anybody (laughs) ever managed a business or tried to organize any group of people? No, not isolated to churches. <laughs> that is true. It is unfortunate uh, that uh, it, it's. Yeah, it, it's unfortunate that the conflicts can bring themselves even in within within God's people. But, you know, as we've been reading in the Bible over two, two plus years, conflicts amongst God's people is has always been there. It'll be there until Jesus returns. So, um, I guess we... news for our modern day issues. At least we haven't had to uh, re re uh, reinstate sanctuary cities. <laughs> Not yet. <For> those? <laughs> that would be some huge conflict amongst God's people. <laughs> Tracy, do have you, you need accidentally shed someone's blood? Do you need a place to run for safety for as long as the high priest lives? I hope that's not the case, or I'll be on the move. I'll be I'll be taking uh, Matt's show on the road. <laughs> yes, but that's because you had the audacity to choose a paint color. So exactly, <laughs> and it wasn't even along the purple of the pink area. <laughs> well, maybe it should have been. Oh, oh gosh, oh gosh, yeah, it's would have been living with you in Kentucky. <laughs> no, you don't say your plans out loud. Shh. Yeah, now they know where to find you. Don't my location. Don't come out here with your paint and your craziness. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. It's just a sad state of affairs. You know, when somebody somebody tries to do something with the best of intentions, and then other people just get upset. And in up in arms and fighting mad and oh gosh. You mean like everything that's going on in the world right now? Everything? Oh no, no, this is an isolated incident. Because <laughs> I have noticed that people are particularly feisty these last couple of years. Yeah. Well, <laughs> oh gosh, who knows? Who knows? But you know, it makes life interesting, I guess. Um you know, there was a curse that said, I don't know who said it. I need to find out who said it. But they said, may you live in interesting times. And that's actually as a curse. Because uh, I guess if times are boring, then there's no conflict. All right. Anyway, as we get into our topic this week. So I I assigned us a huge chunk of scripture to read this week. Uh, with the intent of being able to finish the book of Ezekiel. And it's... I don't know. The the reading is interesting. I won't say it's not interesting. I will say I found aspects of it rather confusing. I'd go with the confusing for a hundred. Yeah, yeah. Because okay, so here here's the gist of it. We're going to be talking about Ezekiel chapters forty through forty eight this week, which is a lot. It was a lot of ground. In fact, I was frantically 
uh, jotting down notes right up until the time I started the uh, our recording here. It's largely discussing a vision that Ezekiel is given concerning, I'm going to say, a temple, because this is not the temple that was already in uh, Jerusalem. And from what I can see, this is a temple that has never actually been built. And so um, I had a, I had a lot of struggle with it, wondering why he was given this vision at all. Did you guys get any indication of why he was given this vision of a temple that doesn't seem to ever have been built? I didn't. And I think that was where I was confused on where we were going or what was going on. Yeah, I, I didn't understand the context of what was happening. You know, what he could see, that was plain as day. But, you know, why is he being shown this? And the only thing that was, okay, the the thing that made it really confusing to me was chapter 47. So, for our listeners, Ezekiel is shown... Um, you know how Bibles sometimes have little sub subtitles in each section? My yeah. chapter 40 starts off with the temple area restored. And it starts off in the 25th year of our exile, at the beginning of the year, on the 10th of the month, in the 14th year after the fall of the city, on that very day, the hand of the Lord was on me and he took me there. And then he so shows him a vision, takes me to a very high mountain whose south side were on whose south side were some buildings that looked like a city. He took me there and I saw a man whose appearance was like bronze. He was standing in the gateway of the city, I assume, with a linen cord and a measuring rod in his hand. The man said to me, son of man, look carefully and listen closely and pay attention to everything I'm going to show you. For this is why you've been brought here. Tell the people of Israel everything you see. Right? That's pretty specific. Right. But I wondered how much of it was literal. So from there, he proceeds to go into like a list of measure measurements. I saw a wall completely surrounding the temple area. The length of the measuring rod in the man's hand was six cubits, each six long cubits, each of which was a cubit and a hand breadth. So like, what is that? The royal cubit? Yeah, it's like 21 inches instead of 18. Yeah, so so like a cubit and a hand's breadth. And he measured the wall, and it was one measuring rod thick and one rod high. So usually when you're running cubits in your head when you're reading the Bible, you can just do time and a half. In this case, that wouldn't be quite right. You'd have to figure out your, your decimal calculation ahead of time if you actually wanted to calculate these measurements. And then he proceeds to just describe. The east wall is like this. The gateway is like that. The outer court is like this. The south gate is like that. The gates to the inner quarter like this. There are rooms preparing sacrifices. Do you remember a while back when we were reading about how like, and you shall build a temple and here's how you shall build it. And here are your measurements. It's like that, but he's mm -hmm. seen something that's already built. Talks about the porticos, how the whole thing is put together. Talks about God's glory coming back to it. But when it got to 47, this is where it got a little strange to me. In chapter 47, he says, the man brought me back to the entrance of the temple. 
and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around to the outside of the outer gate facing east, and the water was trickling from the south side. And then, the, and then he proceeds to talk about how the water coming out of the temple is fresh. And it's going to go into the salt water that's around it, and it's going to provide new life. Everywhere this fresh water goes, trees are going to grow, marshes and whatever will remain salt marshes and salt bogs. But everywhere this goes, all the way down to the sea, it's going to bring fresh water, and with the fresh water will come fresh life. And that made me wonder how much of this was literal and how much was symbolic. But if it's symbolic, then why all the specific measurements? Right? Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of like the weird thing to me. Yeah. Same with me. The whole thing was, I don't know. I was getting an impression almost that God is showing Ezekiel this to either show some kind of intent. I mean, I thought, okay, maybe possibly he's showing Ezekiel something that he wants to have built, but it never got built. Maybe he's showing him this as some sort of an ideal of what the temple ought to be, because I think it does have a few aspects in it that maybe weren't in Solomon's temple. I mean, if there were things like uh, specific rooms for changing clothes and rooms that almost seemed like apartments for the for the priests. Um, Apparently air conditioning because you weren't even allowed to sweat while you were working. Did you guys <laughs> notice that? Yeah, they had. They had well, that, that was in Solomon's temple, too. They were supposed to wear linen while they were. Yep while they were working uh, in the in the temple so that they wouldn't sweat, um, or at least the linen wouldn't ca- cause them to sweat. You know, there's some different... We didn't, get, we didn't get the real specifics of what the inside of the actual temple itself looked like. We got a lot of description of the outer court, the inner court, the walls of, of these courts, how they're... how they were decorated to some degree, how the archways over the gates are, are, are built and decorated. In a lot of ways, it was, it was different from what we saw Solomon building. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I really, I really couldn't tell if this was supposed to be, it almost seems like at one of those times when there's like two things happening here, like almost like, like this is what you should build. But when you get to that whole water flowing from the temple thing, that almost seemed to me to be representative of something more as an aspect of God with that fresh water and the life flowing from it. And how it separates the land and the people and mm-hmm. um, prosperity and rebirth and growth. And that's yeah. kind of my take on it. Yeah, because there were times I'm reading this and I'm thinking, okay, so is this is this something that's kind of in heaven? Because somewhere in the Bible and I'd have to do, maybe you guys can help me with this. It would seem, you know, we're told that like in heaven, there is a temple that this temple, these temples on earth were patterned after with the holy place, the most holy place, all these things. I can't remember exactly where that is, uh, but I do know, it seems like when when they were given the the blueprints or the pattern for it, 
you know, when it was just the tent out in the wilderness, he was told this is a pattern. You know, this is something uh, that that you're basically going to make a little copy of something that exists. And so there was a part of me thinking when we're reading this, okay, is this is this describing like the heavenly temple? Is this describing? It didn't seem like it because it talked about literal earthly sacrifice. I know. And so that was the part of that 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 had me go, no, that doesn't seem right. Because then, you know, we get talk later on about the specific sacrifices to be given uh, that are very you know, they're pretty much sacrifices that we read about back in Leviticus. And so that was a little odd because everything, everything that we, at least that I know about, you know, the temple in, uh, in heaven is, is more what we have done here is representing what's there, but what's there is not a little, it's, you know, it's not a literal mirror copy, you know, in heaven, they're not sacrificing goats and bulls and rams and and this and that. Everything yeah, is. Okay, angels repre- go out to the heavenly flocks and find a flawless one-year-old <laughs> bull for the sin. Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. So that's not that's not what's happening there. It's all representative of what God is doing for us and has done for us in heaven. You know, it's all representative of Christ's sacrifice, Christ's. Um, work as our high priest in heaven, as Paul tells us in, is it in Romans. So, yeah, I don't know. This was just a very, it was a very, I think that's probably why it took me. I was really having a hard time studying it because the whole time I'm going, what is this thing? So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there were, there were some, some aspects of it that I did find kind of rather uh, interesting, like, um, you know, ch- specific chambers for preparing sacrifices, specific chambers for uh, singers and priests. It's almost like there was more thought put into this, like thinking about the future. You know, how how are we going to need to use the, these rooms? What spaces are we going to need? You know, there were places for priests to change out of those linen garments as they go from the inner court to the outer court, because they're not supposed to wear those garments out into the outer court because they're considered holy and the outer court is more common. I have written down if this was like a motivational kind of thing, because you know how they were so they were in captivity, they were down, you know, they're, they were being reprimanded that, you know, did they need this kind of motivation to say, look, look what it could be. Look what the temple could be again to kind of motivate them to, I guess, maybe help them get through their 70 years. That's what I was kind of, was kind of rolling around in my head. Did it need to be this literal, you know, to everything that was going on? Because you know what I mean? Is there motivation in the details besides just telling, listen, oh, it's going to be a brand new temple and we're going to go back. Was that not enough to where he needed to be just, you know, giving specifics to, to help them through? Yeah, maybe, maybe. How well did they take the motivation if this never got built, though? Because in some ways, this doesn't seem as grand as Solomon's temple. Oh, no. And I think and I think that was the problem is that they were never going to have that again. Because, you know, if, if you fast forward and go back into when it was being rebuilt, people wept there because it was nowhere near what it was when Solomon was there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You hmm. know, and I think they missed the point when, you know, even Jesus was saying that, you know what, this house will... Uh, how did he put it? The glory will of this will outweigh the former or something towards that effect is that, yeah, it didn't look as aesthetically pleasing. 
it wasn't grand like it was before. It wasn't one of those wonders of the world. It was, you know, for at most a temple. Yeah. Yeah. It was interesting. It's interesting to me because it seems like while it's less grand, it maybe seems more functional. Did, was that kind of your impression or is that just me? No, is I it, think it, you know, it listed everything that was being done, you know, but I think when you look at like Solomon's temple, it was, well, and there we go. We, we attached it to, to Solomon, but that was, that was God's plans. I don't know. It was, it was divinely inspired and it was meant to, to, um, to carry out all those functions and it could. So I don't, I don't know if this was just, you know, the, the substitute after it was all over. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was very odd. You know, one thing in chapter 41. So I was just kind of picking out things that that stood out to me and for certain things. There's some depiction of cherubim again. And I don't know why this keeps having such interest to me, but. The the depictions of cherubim in the in the Bible being so different from our popular our popular belief, because here it's cherubim with two faces one is a lion one is a man you know again more more uh what, what do I want? deterrent not deterrent de- detraction of our common thought of what what a cherub what a cherubim looks like um clearly not clearly not our popular uh, belief on that yeah lots of lots of rooms lots of specific space for different things chapter 23 talks about God's glory coming into the temple and Ezekiel describes it. He says, like the vision, which I saw by the river is it Chebar. I don't quite know how to pronounce the word Chebar. Uh, and it sounds like, again, he's seeing another one of those visions of those strange beings we saw with the four faces and the wheels. He doesn't go into all the detail this time, but it makes me think that those visions that he was seeing somehow are depicting God himself, and I'm not saying that that's what he looks like, but that somehow within those depictions, there is a mental picture that we're supposed to be gathering from them of, of about aspects of, of God himself, as this, as it just keeps talking about as the glory of God. It's interesting that we've never quite been able to pin down what they mean, but it makes sense if you figure that we never have really been able to pin down what God is like, you know, if we could describe God, if we could like accurately say this is exactly what God is like, would he even really be God? But is this uh, this this glory comes from the east and comes in and fills the temple? And he says, God says, this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet where I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever. So this is kind This seems to be like Maybe this is the reason that he's being given this vision is that God is showing him that this is my place. This is my the word throne room, I guess you could say. For some reason, God wants it understood that this is a very special place for God to come and meet and live with with human beings. And if it's intended to be a literal place or if it's intended to depict something heavenly or something in between or some combination of both i don't quite get but it does definitely lend a lot of weight to god's presence being there and they said that he's 
reminds him here to describe the temple so that the people of Israel can be ashamed of their iniquities. And they're, they're very specifically supposed to tell them all of these details. So, I mean, I guess that tells me it's worth us studying, even if we don't quite get it, but kind of having that, I guess, having a picture of it and understanding why, uh, why it's there is honestly just a little, uh, it's slightly lost on me. I gotta be honest. There's talk about consecrating the altar on the first day. They're supposed to offer a bull for a sin offering, um, put blood on the horns and the ledge of the altar. It says this is done to cleanse it and make atonement. So we've talked about atonement, what that means. That sin offering is burned on the second day. There's supposed to be a kid of the goats offering as uh, as a sin offering. And they do the same things to cleanse the altar like they did with the bull. But so, yeah, there's there's. There's sacrifices made for for consecrating the altar, seven days worth of goats and bulls and rams, and then the altar is okay for, for burnt and peace offerings. So I still I, I think I think this is gonna be a very difficult discussion or even podcast to listen to later because none <laughs> of us are real clear on what the purpose of this thing was. Mm-hmm. Literal, symbolic, whatever. Like, he gets into 47, which talks about the fresh water flowing, right, coming from the temple. And, and that that water goes out and, and brings life to the region, okay? But then from there, he talks about the boundaries of Israel. And he's giving very earthly, literal boundaries, which makes it seem not symbolic, And then in chapter 48, he talks about dividing up the land. So it's almost like, it's almost like it's a vision of what's to come, except it never came. Yeah, so maybe it was, maybe it was an intention. Maybe it's like kind of what God would have liked to have had. Yeah, I don't know. And what, you know, what kept it from happening, I wonder. Right. Um, but like, I don't even think that there's a purpose to talk through all of the stuff in it if we don't understand how it fits into the grand scheme of whatever. I know, yeah. Because I mean, yeah, there's there's rich it there's all these rituals being done in it, and really, there's nothing different being done here, at least that I can see, that I can remember being done differently from the temple before. So it's in some ways, it seems like it's a review. Maybe they needed to be reminded this is what's supposed to happen. There's stuff with the with the prince. Uh, coming in and you know the east gate is supposed to stay closed because that's the way god came in it's it's difficult to talk about it's difficult to glean anything from ezekiel has just been in a lot of ways a strange book to begin with when we started why you don't put lsd on your pizza (laughs) to bring that back there Uh we're gonna finish the mushrooms again (laughs) yeah yeah well yeah ezekiel has just been so different from anything we've read up to this point in some ways his prophecies that he was given seemed very direct very clear and then in other ways kind of enigmatic very much think about this contemplate this study this try to figure it out but i'm not going to tell you (laughs) Uh, 
So, I, yeah, gosh, I don't know. Um, straight up, honestly, is I, I don't really know where to go with it from here. Yeah, um, <laughs> I don't either. And and I don't think we need to pretend to. I think we can. Oof. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that chapter 47 to me, though, was rather interesting uh, with the healing waters and trees, because that in that aspect, it seems like it took a turn towards something more symbolic. You know, because as it talks about the water flowing into the sea, I don't think we've really ever gotten into this. But generally speaking, and this is me, this is pure speculation mode here. uh, But generally, not generally, but a lot of times in Bible prophecy, when we talk about a sea, you're talking about people. You're talking about lots of people. And so the water flowing from the temple, I mean, I guess let's try to. Let's just play around with it a little bit here if you have water flowing from the temple first of all you think of the temple the temple is where god and man can meet this is where we have a some sort of unique joining of god with his creation us and that is represented by the temple eventually we are told that our body is the temple and the holy spirit then lives in us well, it's where it's where intercession and atonement happened in in before Jesus came. Mm-hmm. So that's what the it was. It was the intersection of God and man, the way that they could meet mm-hmm. before Jesus made all the symbolism reality. Right. And then, so if if we have water flowing from this temple now from this place where where we have this intersection what could we contemplate that water to be i immediately just start having thoughts of christ himself well the okay so if we think of it as symbolic you can take it on two different levels you can take it as and here on earth using the power of god's presence in your nation you will flow out into the society around you and you will bring life and freshness to it. You will wash away the salinity that has killed growth and you will bring new life. And it will be from God and it will flow from this temple, from the temple processes out. All right, that's the on earth way to look at it. And the other way to look at it is that in heaven, the river of life flows from God's throne. Right. Yeah. So I did have aspects of that in my in my mind as well. And I think, uh, you know, that water is all supposed to be life giving. I think there's talk of a new tree of life that like grows over that river. Hey, listen to the podcast. These guys know what they're talking about. No, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the cleansing when it gets to the sea. I mean, if if I'm making the right connections of analogies here, the water getting to the sea or to the to the people that water you know cleansing cleansing people i guess cleansing cleansing things from sin from iniquity from all the troubles that all these things bring that that these things bring and it comes ultimately comes from this intersection of god and man but if you look at 47 11 not everything's healed though but the swamps yeah. and the marshes will not be healed. Right. They will be yeah. given over to the salt. And and interestingly enough, though, swamps and marshes are stagnant. 
there isn't a way to bring them right new water Mm -hmm. so even if you even if you were to go with a bucket and take it out and fill it with fresh water the earth would still be saturated so there has to be some kind of flowing thing in order to come through wash and take away the salinity that has killed everything and replace it with fresh right yeah and that's not going to happen to the swamps i guess anything that remains stagnant i can't i think maybe that's a takeaway from anything that remains stagnant will wither shrivel up and die eventually and if the water in the case of water it's because there's no oxygen in it and so life is smothered right yeah very interesting rather confusing i guess you know i mean the final the final the the ending of the reading was a description of the city's gates Mm -hmm. so you have three gates on each wall of the city so it's you know it's a square city each gate is given a name of one of the 12 tribes. Well, that's shades of the New Jerusalem. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When, you know, when we read in Revelation that the new God brings down a new city onto the onto Earth called New Jerusalem. And then there's there's uh, 12 gates and each gate is named for a tribe of Israel. Each each gate is a pearl. It doesn't say made of pearl. It says each gate is a pearl. So think of the oyster that made that darn thing. I love uh, pearl earrings, but I don't know if I could do that. <laughs> a big pearl. That's a <laughs> big pearl. You'd have some really stretched out earlobes there. Sore ears. <laughs> Sore neck. Yeah. 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 Uh, so you have these twelve these twelve gates representing the twelve tribes, and the name of the city is. Yahweh Shama, which means the Lord is there. So I got the impression that this last little blurb there was talking about the New Jerusalem. And I it sort of seemed to me like maybe the entire reading was just talking about aspects of stuff that not with the not with the literal sacrifices. That doesn't happen. No, and that's the part, that's the part where I keep struggling with that. And then the the division of the land and the this and the mm-hmm. that yeah no there's it's weird I I don't know what to make of it some dual meaning stuff to be taken from here more you know I think it's all supposed to be symbolic of of aspects of God you know even if it is talking literally that we want that he wants to call the land the the city uh, the Lord is there you know it, it's just supposed to be an aspect of People can look and know that that's where they can go if they want to learn about God, if they want to be close to people who are who are worshiping God. It's, you know, sort of like what what Israel was supposed to have been all along, what Jerusalem, what the temple was supposed to have been all along. But it's just it's just strange that the building is not as grand as what was seems to be more functional than what was. A few things seem to be spelled out, maybe a little bit more. You know, there's talk about, you know, the the Levites who led people away into idolatry are still going to be working there. But the Levites who didn't leave people into idolatry are going to be able to actually approach God and serve him. I don't know. I don't know. So uh, this is this is one where I guess we just kind of feel stumped. And, I, you know, I suppose I I guess if we. wasn't that the whole premise of our uh, of our podcast, though? It's like just average, everyday non-theologians getting around yeah. the table going, I didn't get it. Yeah. 
And this yeah. is honestly, this might be one of the first ones that we were all just like, I'm not sure. Yeah. Get it. Because <laughs> I'll be well, the first to admit, I really mm-hmm. didn't get it. Yeah. Well, and I don't know of any of any uh, authoritative Christian figures or, or Bible figures out there who have really given any kind of a satisfactory answer to the, the question anyway of what this temple is all about. I haven't seen anything on it. I was, you know, looking a little bit. The notes, you know, the notes within my Bible were basically this thing was never built. So, yeah, honestly, I don't really get it. And I guess I don't feel terribly bad about that because there's a lot of things in Ezekiel I don't get. And if we did get all of it, if we really understood all of it, would we, how much would we be able to say that we're confident it was from God? I mean, if we could explain every single aspect of God, would he really be God? So we're just sort of left, we're sort of left stumped. We're left with questions. I guess to our listeners, if you have insight or not on this, hey, reach out to us because because we would love to, uh, we would love to gain some insight on it because we, we are fl- frankly left with a lot of questions, a lot of, uh, a lot of confusion on it. I think there's, it just, it feels like there's like overall aspects to be gleaned from it. Maybe we're belaboring it too hard to try to come up with specifics. Just the, but you know, really just the concept of, of a, of an intersection of God and man and whether, you know, whatever it is, whether it be literal, whether it be figurative, whether it be both, whether it be some weird conglomeration of both that's intended to, to point us towards something. I guess it's something that we will be contemplating for, for a very long time. And eventually we'll be able to maybe ask Jesus directly, what was up with the book of Ezekiel? Maybe we'll get to ch- a chance to talk to Ezekiel himself and say, so uh, tell us what you thought. What <laughs> happened after you cleaned out your mushroom garden? <laughs> did your dreams clear up or did they stay crazy like that? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So, I don't know. Overall, I guess I would say Ezekiel has been a fascinating book. Very much there's, so. There's been Very a lot of so. stuff that is really insightful. And other stuff that is really confusing. And I don't feel terribly bad about being confused by the things that seem to be confusing everybody. And if anybody ever came and had a had a very specific uh, answer for any of those those things that we've had questions about, I, I would be kind of suspect of any of any answers that I got that were, were very specific. Because I think we're seeing I think we're just seeing some things about about. God and the heavenly realm that maybe maybe the whole point is for us to go huh I don't think I get it and it's and it gives us a little humbling aspect to our uh, to our walk and re- remind us that we don't have all the answers we don't understand everything and and there is uh well, do you need the book of Ezekiel to do that that happens to me every day oh yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, this was a, it was a, I guess it was a humbling reading though. So I think, that, I think that's what you need. I think maybe that humbling and the humility that comes along with it lets you know that, you know what, we're still all in process. We're still students. And, you know, I think that's 
that builds. Like we've said over and over in the last couple of years, this is what builds your relationship with God. Mm-hmm. This study of his word and, and getting in there and, and um, realizing, you know what? I don't, I don't understand it all, but you know what? I'm willing to, to seek you Lord. Yeah. 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 That's, I guess that's my final takeaway from Ezekiel is like you said, we're, uh, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna trust you. Trust you. Yeah. Yeah. I don't understand it all. I can't understand it all. My brain can't grasp it. Uh, but, uh, but I'm going to trust you, God. And I think that's really all he really, it's, it's what he wanted. It's what he always wanted. It's what he tried to get from Israel. And it's what he continues to try to get from us. All right. Well, with that, next week, we will study the book of Joel. Um, I'm oh, going, early I'm and last some, rain. That should be interesting. Yeah. So I'm going to have some confidence that the book of Joel will be a little more enlightening, a little more, e- e- <laughs> a little inspire a little more discussion than the last several very difficult chapters of Ezekiel. So for next week, we will read the uh, entire book of Joel. And for our listeners, while you are reading that and waiting for us, remember that you can reach out to us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org with any of your amazing insights on the (laughs) book of Ezekiel. Seriously, I mean, if you have ideas, shoot shoot them out to us because, um, I mean, I would love just to hear ideas to to contemplate and think about because yeah there was just a lot of space there where i felt like i was missing something so so attb podcast at theadventure.org remember you can find us on facebook make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you can reach out to us each and every week rqd2 keeps beeping at me because i forgot to mute my phone and we look forward to talking to you again next week Thanks for listening. <laughs> Sorry, I just I had to keep doing that. It was hilarious, though. Uh, Joel, all of Joel, Joel one through three. <laughs> if you can't laugh, what can you do? Oh. Sometimes that's all I can do is laugh like an idiot. It's not hard for me.